Well, good morning, church. Good to see you folks. We missed you. We did not miss your weather, but we missed you. We've been away for two weeks in sunny Florida, and we loved every minute of it. <clears throat> we enjoyed... Um, We left two Sunday mornings ago when you folks got that storm, and we actually drove out in it, and it was was difficult travel for the first couple hours, and we realized how long this winter has been. When we we got, um, I think, down to southern Ohio, and in our car, it showed it was 40 degrees out, and we started to celebrate. That's when we knew this has been a long, long winter. And then we actually got through Georgia, and we got into Florida, and we heard Landon say from from the middle seat back there, he said, Mom, Dad, I just pull out a tooth. I think, just pull out a tooth? And I thought, you know what? That thing's probably been frozen in his head <laughs> this whole winter. <laughs> and he finally got to pull that thing out. Anyways, we got two weeks of, um, of rest and relaxation. We got to sleep. We put over 3,700 miles on our van. Uh, it was really enjoyable family time. Uh, there was one point in time, we got down to Florida, it was, I hate to even tell you this, it was like 85 degrees the first day we were down there, and we were just soaking it up, and, um, and we, my wife pulled up the weather map just to see what, it, what things were, were happening back here, you know, and, um, and she pulled it up, and she, she backed out to be able to see the weather of all of the United States. And then we even looked at Alaska, and we looked over, and everything, there was nothing, nothing all over the whole weather map, except there was this little round blob of snow over northern Michigan. (laughs) And then we just exited out of that. Anyways, we thought of you all, and if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have come back. That's how much we love you. We really do. And while we were gone, um, we just have to, just to say how proud we are of our church family. Um, While we were gone, uh, the culmination of our search process for our uh, music and worship and guest ministry pastor um, finished. Our elders voted last Sunday after church, after a mandatory two-week waiting process, hearing back from our church family. And here's what I need to just brag on you folks about. You know, music is one of the most controversial subjects in the church of America. And a pastoral vacancy is one of the most um, emotionally charged times. And you folks went through this period with such unity. And I'm so proud of you. And we, we haven't heard any disunity in any way. There's been no arguments. There's been no squabblings. There's been no problems. And I'm so proud of you. And there's been, there's been good feedback and good discussion. And last Sunday after the service, our elders got together and they rehearsed all of the discussion and input that's come from the congregation. And they unanimously voted to extend a call to Jonathan and Precious Mass and their family to come and be a part of our church ministry. <clears throat> and so um, yesterday when we were driving back from Florida, um, we got a call from Jonathan and Precious. They were putting things in motion in case all of this worked out. And um, they had been looking at a home, they had put an offer on a home, they had talked with the bank, and all of it was dependent upon a positive vote from the elders, and it was all waiting on that. And when that went through, they gave the green light, 
and, um, and the bank just flew with it. And they called me yesterday and they said, you will never believe this. But we actually have a closing date on our home for April 8th, two weeks from tomorrow. You believe? So they will be moving here two weeks from tomorrow, and they said, do you think anyone can show up and help us move? I think we can help them, don't you? So, um, so we'll all show up at the bank first <laughs> at 11 for closing, and then we'll go over to the house and help them move after that. We'll give you some further updates on some exact times. We'll make sure there's some food there to help you out. We'll unpack them and get them going on the 8th. Uh, we'll tell you next Sunday what's going down with that. Then you're wondering, what about their home in West Virginia? Well, catch this, folks. <laughs> it's not even funny. They've had six offers. They have a buyer on their home, and then they have a backup buyer in case that one falls through. So you can stop praying for them. And now defer all of those prayers toward the Conovers once again and our home in New York that that thing will sell. And, um, I, you know, you, you, you do rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm so excited for them. I really am. You hear it in their voice. And I'm just thrilled for them. So praise God uh, for his answered prayers, for how things are going for them. And, uh, and we'll give you some more information next Sunday. As uh, things come through the pipeline, and um, here we go. Get ready. Just in time for Easter, which is uh, just a four weeks away. Get your study guide on the back of your East Bay Weekly. <clears throat> go ahead and grab that. <clears throat> we have finished up the larger units of thought that James has taught us, and now we come to what primarily serves as his conclusion in the last couple chapters. <clears throat> These are a little bit smaller chunks that we're going to work through in the last couple chapters of the book of James. Now, um, just like any other preacher, <clears throat> just because he's finishing and it's kind of his conclusion... Um, don't think it's just going to end anytime soon, you know. Just because a preacher says, and in conclusion, you know, he can keep going and going and going. I think you know that by now, right? <clears throat> we all on the same page with this? <clears throat> in fact, there was one time this, this preacher's kid noticed his dad uh, was looking at his watch while preaching his message. And then a little while later, he saw his dad, while preaching the message, look down again at his watch, and excited, the kid leaned toward his mom and said, Mom, I, I just saw dad watch, look at his watch two different times during his message. What do you think that means? And the mom turned to the child and replied, it means absolutely nothing is what it means. And so here with James, he finishes with about seven different thoughts that we're going to pack into these last four Sundays leading up to our Easter Sunday. So here we go. We're going to um, tackle a few of them today. And all of them are somewhat individual in their own. However, there are some related themes that we're going to identify as we move through these today. I want to give you these three different thoughts as reminders to discuss. And the first reminder that I want to talk to you about this morning is a reminder from James to reserve your deepest desire for God. Reserve your deepest desires for God. These come in verses 4 through 10. Let me, um, if you would, 
look, uh, direct your thoughts to verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read this for you if you would. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace, and that is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's his first unit of thought that James gives us as he's beginning to work through his concluding remarks uh, in the last two chapters of James. And the first one is this reminder, reserve your deepest desires for God. It is somewhat connected, if you would, to the verses just preceding, because he talks about desires, and those desires led them to fight They were fighting with each other. They were battling because they wanted things. And in fact, they were even willing to use God to get what they wanted. They wanted to ask of God, but they were going to use the things that they got to to satisfy their own pleasures, he mentioned. He mentions verse 3, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with these motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures And so he's walking into this whole issue of desires. Their desires were misaligned. So they fought with each other. Their desires were misaligned and they were asking God just to get things because they wanted them. And now God was talking about how their desires not only messed up their relationships with each other, they were messing up their relationships with him. Their desires for what they wanted were now eclipsing. They were more important than their relationship with him. Here's the beauty of it. We are in a relationship with God. That's the beauty of Jesus being our forgiver and leader. Gang, here's here's the whole deal. This isn't churchianity. This is Christianity. We are in a love relationship with God. You realize this is all about love. You realize why Jesus came in the first place? John 3, 16, say it with me. For God so loved the world. It's right there. He loves us. God's crazy about us. He created us. He enjoys relationship with us. Can you imagine that? God loves you. He loves you. And the best thing we could ever love, the best thing we could ever love is God. Is there anything better we could love? And hence, in the Ten Commandments, It should be no surprise why he set up the very first commandment is we should have no other God before him. That's not just God being stingy. What's better than God? Now, interestingly enough, it mentions in this passage in James this word about jealousy. That God becomes jealous. Now I want to show you where else that shows up. It's in Exodus chapter 20. In fact, let's look at the passage together. In Exodus 20, this is the Ten Commandments back in the Old Testament. Most would be familiar with at least an understanding of the Ten Commandments. 
And I want you to see, it, it talks about this jealousy. It says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the lands of slavery. Here's this relationship. Hey, whoa, whoa, Israel. I'm the one. I, I brought you out. I'm in this relationship with you. So don't put anyone before me. And you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. Don't bow down to them or worship them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This, this whole love relationship with God and, and him wanting our relationship with him is not a brand new thing. This goes back to the first commandment. God was in a relationship with Israel. Have no other gods before me. Don't bow down and worship any other god. Don't give your affection and loyalty to anyone else. And this really isn't a new concept for us. Nearly 24 years ago, Lisa and I stood up on a platform similar to this, faced each other, gazed into each other's eyes. The pastor said, repeat these words after me. Many of you have echoed virtually the identical words. And we came to this one portion of our vows, and it goes something like this. Forsaking, forsaking all others. I give myself only to you. Not forsaking, forsaking most others. It's forsaking all others. We've walked into an exclusive relationship. The little black book was gone. Not that I even had one. It was burned. You know, we didn't call our prior mates. We didn't go out with them for old time's sake. You know, when times got tough, we didn't check out our old flame and we didn't ask what if. They were gone. And they should have been. And so here we start in verse 4 and James says, you know what? There are ways... Believers, that we can have a cheating heart with God. He calls it adulterous, even. And, and it's when our desires, he calls it, it friendship with the world, puts us in a position of enmity or opposition against God. And I, I want to walk through this just for a moment. What would that look like? What does this friendship with the world look like? What's he talking about when we talk friendship with the world? And, and we need to know this because we have to know if we're doing this or not. Pastor, how do I know if I'm a friend of the world? Is it if I, if I like people that aren't Christians? Does that make me a friend of the world? Is that the problem? And I'm here to tell you today, that is not the problem. You're actually supposed to like non-believers. 
You're supposed to develop a relationship with them. You're supposed to influence them. You're supposed to share Jesus with them. Guess what Jesus did? Guess what got him into trouble with the religious people? So that's okay. And in fact, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. So I think you're all right there. It's not that. It's not the people. We're supposed to love people. I'll just cut to the chase. It's the way of thinking. It's the morals. Now, contextually, from what James has written, I can tell you things James would say, this is the world. These are the things I'm concerned, James would say. These are the the things I'm concerned about, us being a friend of the world. James would say, contextually, even in chapter 4, contextually, you deal with your problems with each other the way the world deals with them. You fight. That's worldly. That's one thing James would say. That's a value set of the world. How does the world deal with each other when they have a problem? Let's duke it out, man. Let's argue. Let's turn up the volume. Contextually, he says it's wrong. That's a worldly mindset. That's being a friend of the world. Contextually, verse 3 of chapter 4, it would be selfishness. It would be wanting to satisfy my own pleasures, asking God for all the things I want. God is now Santa Claus. Selfishness. That is worldliness. Contextually, worldliness in chapter 2 would be favoritism. Showing favoritism to those who advantage me rather than showing mercy to those who may give me nothing in return. Contextually in James would be letting my tongue say things that it would never say. Sounding like the world at the water cooler, sharing gossip that I should never, ever, ever share. That's the world. I wish I could say it's your hair length because, folks, I'm going to be safe for a long time. I wish I could say if you just wear these clothes, then you're not worldly. But you know what? It's stuff here. It's our values. It's, according to James, worldliness would be our selfishness be what comes out in our speech be our desires and what comes out in our fights be self-righteousness and pride according to James feeling I'm better than others I've got one up on others because of my personal way that I practice Christianity And God says, you know what? That's, that's adultery. It's when you love worldly value sets more than you love me. Now, you know what? I have two other sections to get through, so I need to keep moving. But let me give you three things that he talks about to deal with this. Can I? It's a one, two, and three on your... Um, on your, on your notes. Let me give you these. Boy, these are really important. We, we do need to humbly yield our deepest desires to God. These are really special. Verse 7. You know, when we look at <clears throat> our desires, when we look at the reality and we see these things, we see pride in our self-righteousness, or we see our speech, we see favoritism, we see maybe our desires and, and fighting. He says, I want you to humbly yield those deepest desires to God. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. 
one of the very first ways out is to acknowledge it and yield to God. And I love the word yield, submit. We deal with yield signs every day. If we don't yield, we're going to be in a crash collision course. But the Bible says we need to yield to God when we see these desires. God, I see these things for what they are. I submit. Instead of favoritism, God, it's mercy. Instead of selfishness, it's selflessness like Jesus. Instead of fighting, God, it's humility. Instead of self-righteousness, it's humility and kindness. We yield these things to God. We give them to God. We ask forgiveness of God. We, we design to God that we will do things His way. It continues, notice number two, resist the advances of the enticer. These things will come hard. They will come fast. They will be furious. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Recognize there will be advances on the inside. Lures of our adversary, Satan. He would love to get our desires off of God. He would love for our personal passions to be away from God. To be on other things than God. For our values set to be away from the one who created us. And we need to resist those advances. And then number three, in humble repentance, get close to God. And then he mentions, come near to God. He will come near to you. And here's this humble, wash your hands. It's time to clean up. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Here's the beauty. He will lift you up. Our best way up and out of wrong desires is through humility. Our best way up is to kneel and submit and yield these adulterous desires to God to realize that the things I want that are not of his value set are far from him. And as I'm humble about it, he gives grace. That's my way out. He gives grace to do it when we humbly recognize our need and get close to him. That's reminder number one. Reserve your deepest desires for God. Here we go. We got to keep on trucking. <coughs> Excuse me. Reminder number two. Yield your words to God. Yield your words to God. You see how all of a sudden he changes a little bit with his perspective. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, notice the, the focus now. Do not slander one another. <coughs> Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so here he talks about yielding your words to God. Yield your words to God, verses 11 and 12. And interestingly, if you've been with us through this study in James, this is number three. This is the third time he's talked about our tongue. Now, I'm wondering, is he just overdoing it? The third time on the tongue, James, 
Are you just overdoing it? Are you beating a dead horse? Well, I'm kind of thinking maybe the other alternative could be true. That maybe our tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to ask you, do a little poll with me. What member of your body has hurt more people? Your hand or your tongue? Now think about it. If you say your hand, we would like to sign you up for our security team. But probably for all of us, it's our tongue. True? You with me on that? Your foot or your tongue? It's our tongue. James' first address of the tongue was in chapter 1, verse 26. He said, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. Wow. And then in chapter 3, he talked about putting bits in the horse's mouths and, and a rudder for a ship and And even with all of that, we still can't get a hold of our stinking tongue. And now his third hammering away at the tongue, and he says, brothers and sisters, and it's all within the church. Come on, church, he says. What is going on with the tongue? I don't know about you, but there are many things I have said I'd love to be able to take back. And just like with a gun, once the trigger is pulled, the bullet has been launched for its destination and nothing, nothing can grab it and pull it back. It's gone. One person said it is better to sleep on what you plan to say than to be kept awake by what you have said. Very true. So here's the issue. What is James dealing with today about the tongue? And I, and I need to work through this a little bit faster. <clears throat> Obviously, he's dealing with slander. He's dealing with slander against brothers and sisters in the church. These are Christians saying things back and forth to each other. And Dr. Douglas Moo, he's a theologian, a writer of a commentary on James, believes that the context of the selfish fighting that was in the beginning of chapter 4 probably is connected to this speech and quite possibly he argues that the debatable things in the church provided context for personal attack and slanderous accusations that became personal at some point point in time and the slander was selfish bitter speech rising from disputes Paul said it well in Galatians chapter 5 the entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself and then here he continues he says if you keep on biting and devouring each other Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This whole viewing of the law, it seems as though the people in the book of James viewed themselves over God's law. Certainly they seem to ignore the royal law of love your neighbor as yourself. 
and they were putting disputable matters or debatable matters above even the laws of God and they were using their speech in such a way that it became a point of division within the church and here I don't know how we would even view it this way, but the text sure does. If one can speak poorly of a brother or sister because of a disputable or debatable matter, they place himself in a position of authority, even potentially over the word of God. They view themselves as an authority, even over the word of God. About abrasive speech, I love this saying, Many a blunt word has a sharp edge. Person said, keep your words soft and sweet. You never know when you may have to eat them. <clears throat> Good advice on that. We need to yield our words to God. Give our words to God. Let God use our words for his purpose. And avoid the adversary using them for his purpose in church. Here's number three. Yield your plans to God. Yield your plans to God. Verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why do you even not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if this is the Lord's will, we will live, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant scheme. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Here's number three. Yield your plans to God. Yield your plans to God. Looks like James is trying to break a habit of thinking we rule our lives. <clears throat> How does your calendar look? You got everything laid out <clears throat> in detail. Now, I'm just going to tell you, <clears throat> we were counting down the days to Florida. And, and I realized the text says we need to say if the Lord wills, we need to have a God perspective of our plans. And it is very true. God can change our plans at any moment. There are times he's changed ours. There's many scriptures that talk about the reality that God can adjust our schedules. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring. We've had days like that. Job 7, 7, remember, O oh God, my life is but a breath. Psalm 39, 5, you have made my days a mere hand breath. How about Proverbs 16, 1, to humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Or verse 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord is the one that establishes their steps. Few Christians would have the audacity to say the words, My life is mine, I make my plans. Really, believers need to understand God is the one that's really in control. All of our plans are subject to his ultimate plan 
here's the one thing that I want, you, I want us to take away from today as we look at this section. Would you look at verse 17? We're going to connect this to this. Here's the, here's the application verse that he has. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So the first thing in yielding our plans to God, we do need to understand God has the right to change our schedule. Amen? He can change your calendar, and it's okay. But as we plan, there's two elements for how we plan. Number one, in knowing the good we ought to do, if we don't do it, we sin. There's two elements to that. There is good we know we need to plan into our lives. Anyone knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, it is sin for them. When we plan, when we plan, and there is good to do. Make sure we plan it. Many things can crowd that out. Don't let life crowd out the good we know we need to do. With our family. With our spouse. With our church things for God in our neighborhood. And then the second element to that, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, it is sin for them. There is good that comes along that is not in our plan. Sometimes things happen that were not on our calendar. We didn't plan it. And we don't necessarily want to do it. You ever have those moments? <clears throat> My wife and I have had a couple of them. Um, I'll tell you one was um, when, our, when our Brenna was five and she needed surgery. And we had no idea what was going on. And, and I remember we had to take her in for tests, and, and, the, and the doctor had, had run a few different things, and he came in and he said, you know what, it's amazing that we caught this, but she needs to go up to University Hospital, it's an hour and a half away, and your little daughter is very sick and she needs surgery. And it's time to go. She's going to go by ambulance right now. And I think at the time, we had four other children. And we both needed to go, and it needed to happen then. And there was a couple in our church, Chuck and Nancy Crandall. And they both had jobs. And I remember them saying, we'll take your kids. Don't worry about it. Just go. And I said, well, you guys have jobs. Just go. Go. And we went. And it was about a week that we were there. And later we ended up finding out that they took vacation. Not in their plan but in order to help us. You ever have those events come up that weren't on your calendar? But you know God wants you to do them. And you feel that conflict like, you know what, we probably could have used this vacation for something else. 
I'll tell you a time that we were conflicted with one. Um, there was a day back in New York, and um, see, back in Norwich, the only place to shop was Walmart. It was the only place to go, and, and um, if you went to Walmart, you were going to run into people. There's just no way around it. And we had, we had an evening, and we just wanted to get out as a family. We were going stir crazy, and and what we would do when we go stir crazy, we put all our kids in the car because that's the only place you can legally strap your kids down. <laughs> so we put them all in the car and we would just go driving around and we can, you know, we would look for deer and whatever. And then we would go get an ice cream cone. And then we said, you know what, we need to go into Walmart for one thing. Just one thing, but we're not going to run into anybody, Okay. We're not going to see anyone. We're not going to run in anyone. We're just going to, we're just, and in fact, to make sure we're not going to run anyone, let's just go like through the book section. And that's like, who's in the book section of Walmart? You know, let's just go through the book section and we'll slide through there and then we'll go get our thing and then we'll leave and then we'll be all set. And I remember here we are as a family, just like, just sliding through Walmart and we're going through the book section, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I hear, Pastor! <laughs> and I turn and look, and there's a woman from church, and she was a newer woman. And she's like, oh, thank God. And I don't know that I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> She says, you know what, I'm standing here for the last 15 minutes trying to pick out a Bible. And I've been praying, God, would you just send someone along that would help me pick out a Bible? And you know, and there was a little thing, you know, I said, I want to say, well, I will pray for you. <laughs> or else I recognized, even in this slow mind of mine, maybe I'm the answer to her prayer. And God wants to change my calendar right now to do what he wants me to do. And you know, it would have been wrong for me to not. Because anyone who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's, it's sin. And we need to put the good into our calendar. And when God puts it in there, even if it's not our intention, you know what? If God puts it in there, we better stop our calendar. To do his is the idea. So I just want to, I want to finish with one word. And I, I just want to give this to you. You know, we have three, three things that reminders that James gave us in giving our desires to God and giving our speech to God and giving our calendars to God. And the whole thing is, is the issue of humility. You know, basically just giving, just giving us to God. Like, God, here I am. I don't have it all figured out. I really don't. But God, just here I am and use me. And I'll go first. I'm at the front of the line. You know, here's, here's my prayer, God. You know, here's my desires. And I know that they're a tug of war with you sometimes. I'm sorry I'm wrong. And I yield them to you. And I don't want to cheat on you. And my speech, I want it to be good and helpful and build up the body. And, and my plans help me to yield my calendar to yours, not be so rigid. It's humility. And that's my prayer today. I'm at the front of the line. 
What's your prayer? What's your prayer for God today with these three things? So let's do it right now. Let's just take a moment and pray these things to God. What's your prayer? What's your prayer with these desires? With your speech? With your calendar? What do you give to him today? What's sensitive to your heart today? What's one thing maybe you can tackle today? Just humbly yielding to him. And giving him your heart. Letting him be that top spot. Letting him be the king. And having the lead role. doesn't have to be us would you take a moment and pray to him in the quiet and share your prayer with him let him be that top spot Our lives are so much better when we let you rule them and we yield them. And whether it be our desires, our talk, our plans, uh, you in control. And us supporting your lead, that's, that's how it works best. May you find in this place just humble people supporting your plan, your will, your way in us as the king of our lives. May that be our heart's cry. And all of you, Spay Calvary said, Stand with us and sing this together.